Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss Mexican Airlines' outlook since the country's safety rating upgrade and the fastest-growing U.S. airports over the past decade. Enjoy. Hey, Jay. How are you doing this week? I'm good, Ned. How about you? Doing well, doing well. So we are both gearing up along with our colleagues at Skiff. The Skift Global Forum will be next week in New York. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, it's uh, the 26th, 27th, 28th, and we will be there. So if you are coming to the Global Forum, please come say hi. Both Jay and I will be there. Um, it's going to be a great event. Anyway, Jay, this week, lots of news. Mexico, uh, we're going to start there. They finally got their long-awaited upgrade to Category 1 safety rating from the FAA. Um, so airlines there are optimistic. Right, right. So the last uh, couple of years, right, it's been when did the, when did the FAA... Uh, May 2021. 2021. So it's been, been a few years now that uh, the FAA was not happy with uh, Mexico's safety procedures and whatnot, protocols, and uh, they that effectively limited... Mexican airlines from expanding to the United States. Uh, yes, again. and it's 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 this interesting thing I've learned over the last years is you know when we say they can't expand beyond what they were already flying, like part of that is they can't register additional aircraft in the U.S. So they can fly the same number of aircraft on roughly the same number of flights, but you know they they can move it. There's a little wiggle room, and like they can use those flights on sort of. They need to do another LAX Mexico City versus a LAX Guadalajara. They can kind of shift around, but they, they can't grow. Essentially, there's a little wiggle room, but they can't grow. That's an important detail. Right. And then also they can't uh, form any new co-chairs and alliances. And that's somewhat relevant here because Viva Airbus, one of Mexico's three airlines, the three major airlines, they wanted they they're looking to do something with Allegiant and Delta and Aeromexico have a close relationship as well. Uh, and Volaris and Frontier uh, essentially have the same owner. So uh, that is relevant. And um, now with uh, we're back at Category 1, so expect to see some, some new announcements. Now, it should, we should, uh, <laughs> with, with these situations where uh, capacity is restrained for whatever reason, you know, whether it be Boeing and Air, Airbus delivery delays or FAA controller shortages, or in this case, regulatory reasons. What you have is a situation where uh, yields and and uh, you know unit revenues have actually gone up a lot, and right. the Mexican airlines, in a sense, they've they've benefited from not being able to grow. Now, the U.S. airlines could have grown to Mexico, but they really haven't. Yeah. They've been, I mean, to, to a certain extent, they have, but they've been, you know, focused on other areas. So I think everybody's kind of just that market's been been very good for for the the three Mexican airlines. The, the cross border market has been pretty good over the last couple of years. Right, you put capacity constraint in there, and and you know there's still a lot of traffic between Mexico and the U.S. and and that tends to be good for yields. But you know it is analysts generally see this as a positive for Mexican airline earnings because there has been more capacity going into the domestic market than probably otherwise would have had you know the US been open for them to, to add flights to. So there is some expectation that domestic yields might improve as capacity growth slows there. 
Right. And they've been receiving a lot of new airplanes too. I mean, they all have a lot of orders, you know, Viva, the three airlines, just so everybody is clear, there's a Viva Aerobus, there's Volaris. Those are the two ultra low cost carriers, you call them kind of the, you know, spirit frontier type model. Uh, and then there's Aero Mexico, which is, uh, you know, the law for your premium seats and some inter intercontinental service. Um, and they, they all have planes on ordering. Aero Mexico has the Boeings. And then the other two have have a whole bunch of uh, Airbus Neos on order. So as they come in, as you as you say, Ned, you know, in the past they were just throwing them into the domestic market more often than not. Now they have the option of uh, you know putting them to the United States. Now Valaris has done some, you know, they've gone south with some of that new capacity. Central America, they have a separate operating certificate down there, at least one. I think they might have two. I think they have Costa Rica um, and El Salvador. Now, and El Salvador, said, right? Yeah. yeah. So they've been, you know kind of that's been sort of a safety valve for them uh, or pressure release valve, so to speak, while they face these restrictions in the U.S., but those are gone. So you'll see, uh, yeah, you'll see the the U.S. expansion. We'll see, uh, I guess, the Department of Transportation in the U.S. still has to approve that Viva Aerobus uh, Allegiant arrangement, that joint venture. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Well, and speaking we'll of if... that, that's... Um you know, leads into the other half of the of the Mexico situation is what's going on in Mexico City. The U.S. has suspended the review of the Allegiant uh, Viva Aerobus joint venture because the uh, Mexican administ the administration in Mexico of President Manuel Obrador. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to butcher you. Just I'm say sorry. AMLO. AMLO. <laughs> you can just say administration AMLO. of AMLO. <laughs> um, they are actively pressuring airlines to fly from his pet project airport, Felipe, Felipe Angelis. And the U.S. government is unhappy because cargo airlines were forced to move. And that, according to the U.S. government, is a violation of the Bilateral Air Services Treaty. So it's um, <laughs> there's a lot of politics at play here. Right. Airlines are not happy with uh, Mexican aviation policies. Uh, for starters, you know, Aeromexico in particular for many, many years, was just dying to have a new airport because the existing Mexico City airport is, uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, Ned, but it's been a long time since I've been there, but uh, it's old, It's it doesn't have enough room, it doesn't have the modern amenities that you might expect uh, from a you know such a big capital city. Uh, but they did, a previous administration started building uh, a new, brand new airport, uh, and Aeromexico had all sorts of grand plans to, uh, you know, just amplify their presence and create more of a hub situation there. Uh, but President AMLO canceled that a couple of years ago. I think that was already before COVID. And uh, they instead, they're trying to develop this alternative airport, which is not particularly convenient. And the military has gotten involved. They, they now run this new alternative airport. And on top of all that, the AMLO administration has resurrected the old Mexicana and put the yes. military in charge of that. Uh, and so now that there'll soon be four airlines for, for, you know, major airlines. Uh, so major the, airlines. Yeah. And remember the new, and well, not remember, but the new Mexicana, according to comments by the administration is going to, to target, you know, budget conscious travelers. And they're saying that they're going to undercut fares in the market, which basically means they're going to be a lost leader considering Valeris and Viva Aerobus are not exactly expensive airlines to fly. So you're going to have this pressure on yields. But of course, 
Mahikana is not going to have to report to investors. The government is funding them, whereas Viva Airbus, Valeris, um, and Aeromexico all do have to report to investors. So it's it's going to be a very interesting situation once Mexicana begins flying right. again. Yeah, yeah, and it, and you think it's a big enough market to support for airlines? I mean, there uh, I forget the population of Mexico uh, was it 150 million or something? I mean, I'm not sure, but uh, that's you know that's a lot of people for just three airlines, and um, you know, and I think the uh, 130 million. I just just googled it. Uh, you know, and 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 I think you know, Aero Mexico went through bankruptcy during COVID. Uh, they just didn't get any government aid, kind of forced to, just as other Latin American, other major Latin American airlines, same situation. So they're they're kind of restructured now. Um, they're not reporting their results, but uh, I assume they're doing fine. Valaris and Viva Airbus has, have been doing pretty well. They both made money in the second quarter. Uh, they, Valaris had a fantastic year, actually. I believe it was in 2021 uh, when all <laughs> Mexico is a, an unusual market. I think we may have talked about this on a previous podcast. They, uh, during pandemic, they were largely open to tourists. So a lot of Americans went down there uh, and the airlines did very well. Um, Mexico, by the way, of of all the large uh, country markets in the world, Mexico has the uh, the fa- Mexico is the fastest uh, growth market uh, in the world since 2019. I mean, if you look at just the number of seats that are scheduled today versus four years ago, um, there's really no other large country in the world that's 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 grown as much. Uh, so there's you know there's been plenty of growth. The three airlines are doing well. Could it support a, a fourth airline? The answer is probably yes. The only thing is that it sounds like this, you know, it, it doesn't sound too promising in terms of, you know, who's going to be running this airline and, uh, you know, the airport it's going to be at. And, you know, we'll see what routes they wind up flying. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just it seems like it's kind of, you know, my my guess is that the other three are, they're, they're all, you know, well-run airlines. They're going to be fine. They'll face some pricing pressure on this route here and there, but I, I think they'll be able to coexist with this this new right. new airline if they're, the new they're not too crazy. Yeah, the new Mexicana is not going to have a terribly large fleet. I don't remember. I don't know the exact numbers of aircraft in front of me, but it's. I mean, it's certainly under twenty planes at this point, so it's not right. going to be huge. It will have its. It'll. It'll be based at the new Felipe Angeles Airport, so they're going to have a very specific market. Um, but speaking of that, one thing I we glossed over in all this is. The, the Mexican government continues to pressure their domestic carriers to move flights to Felipe Angeles. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, but we will see a reduction to, I believe, 42 movements an hour at, at Mexico City International in January. And this is, affects the Mexican airlines only. Foreign airlines will be able to, to remain where they are. And and they're really pressuring Aeromexico, Valeris, and Viva Airbus to move flights to the new airport. And from everyone I speak to, the new airport is not convenient to the center of Mexico City. Promised uh, rail and road links aren't fully complete. So it's it's an interesting situation. And it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, these airlines are going to add, add flights. They're going to have to do it. But it, it makes you wonder if, if growth might shift away from Mexico City. And that's not necessarily good considering Mexico City is the largest market in Mexico and certainly can handle more more air traffic, air travel. So it'll be interesting to watch. It will be interesting. And in a sense, it's kind of a shame because uh, Mexico could be a much more vibrant airline market than it is. 
In fact, when we talk about all this growth that's happened since uh, 2019 and however you want to measure, a lot of it is uh, really pretty much all the growth has happened in the leisure markets. So your Cancuns of the world and 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 your you know markets like Tijuana, which is kind of its own special thing. They've I, I, I certainly love Tijuana, especially with the the bridge to San Diego, which has driven such a, you know, a boom in sort of U.S. travel, origin travel out of Tijuana. If uh, listeners aren't familiar, uh, there is the cross-border express bridge. You can park or, or take uh, Uber to um, a terminal on the U.S. side of the border, check in, you you show your ticket, you clear immigration, you cross a bridge, and or well, you show your ticket cross a bridge, clear immigration, and you're inside security at the Tijuana airport. It's extremely efficient. Uh, one of the few cross-border bridges at an airport in the world. Yeah, just a pedestrian bridge. You walk right across. That's pretty cool. So yeah, that's that's a you know example of, you know, a unique example of why Mexico has been growing. Um, there's also there's all sorts of stuff happening to the Mexican economy that are really interesting. Uh, the, you know, just the nearshoring that's going, all this investment in manufacturing in Mexico, stuff that used to be done in Asia is kind of repositioned to be closer to the U.S. Uh, a lot of that's happening. Um, but Mexico City hasn't really, the, the airline market hasn't really seen much growth. Um, and I, it's partly because of some of these policies that are, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not having the appropriate airport to serve the capital and now kind of dispersing the traffic to airports where nobody wants to fly and they're inconvenient. Um, there's also the Toluca airport, which is sort of within striking distance. I know Valaris in the past has tried to position that as an alternative to Mexico City. But bottom line, I mean, people want a Mexico City, that that's the airport. I mean, if that Mexico is- I, I have that, driven yeah. from the Toluca airport to Mexico City. Oh, and um, if, uh, well, I didn't drive, I took a taxi and Traffic is a very, very real issue. That mm. is for sure. It took several hours. It was not not something I would want to be doing to to catch the morning flight to Acapulco or something. Right, right. Sure. You know, there there is, and you know, not to get too into this, but if you look at the geographic position of Mexico, it's not crazy to think that you know, in in some in a perfect world, the if they had the right airport infrastructure, it could become somewhat like what Copa is doing in Panama. Not exactly. Copa has some unique, you know, unique advantages uh, where they are. And, um, you know, it's a sea level airport and they get, you know, a lot of, you know, government support and it's there. It's uh, a uh, international financial. So, I mean, there's, there's reasons I don't want to, you know, uh, overstress the comparison, um, but there would be more potential to move traffic between North and South. I think, if they had the proper airport facilities, proper hub facilities, which they don't, and they were, <laughs> they started building them, um, as I mentioned, but uh, but that's not going to happen now. So it is it is a bit of a, a shame that um, right. you know it's an underexploited market. It could be more than it is. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, with that uh, talk of airports, Jay, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to talk about some some of the fastest growing airports in the U.S. And we're back. So, Jay, you uh, this will be out in the issue that will be out next Monday, September 25th. But but tell us a bit about this this uh, data you looked at uh, in terms of U.S. airport growth. Right. So this is from uh, Sirium Dio. And this data is uh, I take I took a look at the 100 uh, busiest airports in the United States. And that's ranked by the uh, the total seats that are scheduled this year. 
Uh, and I looked back and compared that to the total seats scheduled in 2013. So 10-year view. And the air. I want to say, let's, let's, let's just rewind real quickly. 2013, this was American and U.S. Airways were independent carriers. Virgin America and Alaska were independent carriers. It was a it was a different era in U.S. air travel in 2013. That's very what I'm much to and, say. and 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 Southwest, Wait. even though they had purchased AirTran in 2010, that wasn't fully integrated. Oh, that's uh, right. AirTran was still operating its own flights. Even they had their own flights, a, so, they, so they were in certain a lot of markets that that Southwest ultimately pulled out of. Uh, there was also you know Spirit and Frontier are a lot smaller than they are now, so. There was no breeze yet. There was no Avello yet. So there, yeah, it was a very you know different market ten years ago. As you might expect, you know, ten years is a long time. Uh, but interestingly, the fastest growing airport in the United States by this uh, ranking uh, is the Texas capital, Austin, and not really a big surprise there. I mean, Austin has just uh, that has been the economic superstar of the United States over the past ten years or so, even just demographically. I mean, if you look, I have it here uh, during the 2010. So comparing 2019 versus 2010, the Austin metro population grew 29%. And that was the fastest of any major metro in the United States. So huge boom there. And it's not just people, it's the economy as well. Uh, there's all sorts of, you know, software development there. It's becoming, becoming a tech hub and uh, you know, Elon Musk is there and uh, they really, really become an economic superstar. And it's, it's certainly showing up in, in the uh, at the airport and, and how busy it's become. Number two, Savannah, Georgia. Interestingly, vibrant port city. Uh, I, I do want to throw something out there. We have to remember that these numbers are looking at percentage growth. So it's always easier for a smaller airport to to grow a higher percentage because it's coming off of a low base. Just saying that, not not to put down Savannah's very strong growth, but caveat for our listeners. Fair point. It's uh, it's going to be harder for an Atlanta, for example, to top this list because uh, right, it's here uh, now. Now, as a reminder, though, this is the 100 busiest airport, so it's not like you know the uh, the the um, 400th busiest airport, uh, you know, Key West or something. It's uh. They, uh, you know, some tiny little airport that doesn't have any service, which would be, uh, you know, they they go from one flight to two and they grow 100 percent. It's we're not including those. But uh, but fair point, Ned, that uh, that it is becomes you know easier to grow if you're smaller. So you have Savannah. You have Nashville is actually number three. Nashville is another one of these like super boom stories. The economy's booming. Southwest, actually, when 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 Robert Jordan, the CEO, was speaking at the Morgan Stanley conference last week, there was a big, big investor event in California. He spoke. He actually called out Nashville. Um, he said that uh, Denver, let me see if I remember, Denver, Phoenix, and Nashville, and Austin, he named those four cities as doing very well for Southwest right now. In fact, uh, the quote for Nashville, he says, Nashville is a great example. Nashville is growing like crazy. So still um we're comparing it versus 2010 but even today here in 2023 it still maintains a very brisk pace uh you can yeah you'll see uh, for those of you that get the and newsletter you, on, on yeah. southwest and nashville i just said uh, uh their southwest will open it it's a new base crew base there next year and uh, the airport is, is after they're opening a new satellite concourse and, and there's all kinds of construction going on there so very rapidly expanding airport Booming city, yeah, just a ton of, uh, yeah, a ton of healthcare industries there. There's, there's a lot of universities, huge number of university students, 
there's uh, even some tech going in there. So yeah, really, really vibrant economy. Uh, and then you have um, right after that Charleston, which is where Boeing put its you know Dreamliner factory. Palm Springs is on there, but you can see the whole list. Uh, we'll just mention uh, since you're all probably curious, what's number one hundred? What's very the very last on the on uh, one on the list? It's uh, Akron Canton in Ohio and Dayton right next to it. They're both down about fifty to sixty percent from twenty thirteen. Uh, and those, I was looking at, you know, which airlines have been in, which airlines have been, in. both of those airports, I believe Southwest exited, those were post-Airtran airports. Um, there's also sort of the phenomenon, you know, I think Dayton is close to, let's see, my Ohio geography, I have to, but I believe Dayton's close to Cleveland and Akron Canton is close to Cincinnati. Did I, do I have them mixed yeah. up? <laughs> you flipped it, flipped it. It's Dayton's close to Cincinnati and Akron Canton's close to Cleveland. But, but I, got, yes. I got to study my Ohio. My apologies to any Ohioans out there who I've offended. I, uh, I have to study my Ohio maps. But yeah, but, they were alternative airports for bigger um Right, and alternative airports that AirTran, uh, you know, grew at purposely. I mean, Akron Canton, they purposely grew there because United and Continental before it were big in Cleveland. And they grew in Dayton because Delta had a lock on Cincinnati. And, you know, something we've seen since 2013, not only was a disappearance of AirTran into Southwest and Southwest decision to exit those markets, but we've also seen Cleveland and Cincinnati become much more competitive airports because, you know, both. Delta and United downsized their hubs there. You know, United no longer has a hub or anything in Cleveland. Uh, Delta calls Cincinnati a focus city, but it's certainly much wider open for new entrants to go in there. We've seen Allegiant and other airlines going to Cincinnati. So, you know, that has definitely hurt Akron and Dayton. Yep. And Spirit and Frontier are, are players in, in those kind of markets now. So and the other one, by the way, that's uh that's that's third from the bottom is Manchester. Uh, which another situation where that used to be kind of an alternative airport to Boston, but now Boston doesn't really need a low fare alternative as much because you have low fare players in Boston itself. JetBlue is very big there and uh, I believe Spirit and Frontier there as well. So uh, those are, yeah, that's, that kind of explains why those are at the bottom. But yeah, be sure to check out the list in our issue uh, that'll be out on Monday. Uh, we should add we're talking, by the way, on Tuesday, September 19th. Definitely. Well, yep. Jay, with that, it's always a pleasure. Listeners, you can contact me at er at skip.com. You can contact Jay at js at skip.com. Jay, looking forward to seeing you next week in New York. Yeah, likewise, Ned, and hope to see some of you, our listeners out there, come say hello. And uh, until, until then, uh, everybody enjoy the rest of their week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.